Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their worlds. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. Getting creative on the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Welcome. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, alongside Ron Price. Ron, great to be with you today. And it's good to be with you, Dale. Uh, CEO, leader of Price Associates, also co-author of The Complete Leader, uh, the book that this podcast is based on. Obviously, if you have read the book, this podcast will be a big help. Today, we're diving into the topic of creativity. It's our it's part two in a conversation about creativity. And if you haven't picked up the book yet, this podcast still stands alone on its own as we give you specific ways to grow your leadership skills and expand the talents that you have in the area of leadership. And we talked briefly, uh, we, well, not briefly, we spent uh, the entire podcast last time talking about this idea and concept of creativity, defined it, uh, had some rather funny stories about how people in the late 1800s thought human creativity was coming to an end and how we've proved that wrong in a big way. But uh, Ron, give us a brief overview of where we're at and then launch us into where we're going to go today. Sure, Dale. Well, one of the, I think, important things we talked about in our first conversation is that creativity is a human endowment. That means everybody has it. Yeah, maybe some exceptions because of a severe physical uh, impairment or something like that. But essentially, everybody listening to this podcast is creative, but not everybody believes they're creative. So we talked about two obstacles to creativity. The first is what uh, Courtney Fighter, one of our team members, refers to as creative prohibition, which is the idea that, oh, creativity at work isn't important. You just need to get your work done. We don't have time for that. It's child's play. Just get to work. That's the first obstacle. We don't realize that it actually has great value in our organizations, and it's a very important leadership skill. The second obstacle that we talked about is what I would refer to as creativity prejudice. That is this idea that I'm not creative. And we think I'm not creative because I can't come up with all kinds of ideas on demand. What we talked about last time is that that's actually just one end of a spectrum of creative thinking or creativity as a skill, which we refer to as improvisational creativity. But at the other end of the spectrum, we have what we could refer to as intellectual or scientific creativity. That's where it's not about coming up with lots of new ideas, but it's about building on ideas, combining ideas in new ways, and iteratively or incrementally developing new applications, new solutions, new possibilities, because you take more of a scientific approach. So we talked about um, people who think they're not creative just because they don't excel at the improvisational side. They're missing a lot of who they really are. In fact, they're very creative. So we talked about how creativity is both natural and learned. It is a talent, but it also can be developed into a skill, and everybody can grow it as a skill. And we discuss that along this continuum of whether you're growing your skills improvisationally or instinctually, or whether you're growing skills, your skills more scientifically or intellectually. So that's where we are coming to today. Now, I was spent the time over the last week, uh, you, you gave us an exercise to make a habit of writing down ideas and 
and thoughts uh, to grow our creativity. Identify the problem and just write down as many ideas as you can. And we've done that in the last week. And, and I remember as we were having the conversation, the first episode, you talked about this immense joy you get from watching your young grandkids be creative. And I'm, I'm wondering, does our industrial focused education system that was really built to prepare people to work on assembly lines. Is that one of the things that has been a creativity killer? I think in, that's in the yeah, marketplace. I think that's probably true, Dale. I think that um, we go to school at home, we're creative and we, I, for instance, one of my granddaughters, she has imaginary characters and she, there are these amazing stories that she creates when I observe her around this imaginary character and she's helping this imaginary person solve problems and she's nurturing them and showing them her love. And it's, <laughs> it really is amazing how creative they are. And then we go to school and at school we're taught, no, you need to learn what we're working on. You need to focus on math or you need to focus on learning to read. And of course we do need to focus on those things. But I think it gets so far out of balance that over time people learn to not express this creativity. And then you go to the workplace and unless you're a part of a creative organization that is specifically asking you to create ad campaigns or to create shows or things like that, we think, oh, those are the creatives that are doing that. It, but our job is just to do things mechanically. Our job is just to get the tasks completed. So I think yeah. all through school and work, there is this current that is against creativity that we have to overcome in order to tap into this. And really, it's kind of silly that we don't give creativity more of a place in the way that we talk about success in life, because almost all of the commercial successes that we see around us today are a function of creative thinking. I see the whole concept on a continuum really paralleling the whole idea of storytelling, where we, we initially, as children, love and learn through telling of stories. And as we progress and get older, it's less story, more data. And we know that that doesn't work for getting, it's for truly communicating. And just like creativity, we start out young. And as you see in your grandkids and we all see in our young kids, there's, there's this creative energy that just seems to go away, but it's not going away. We're just hiding it as individuals. And it's important for us to remember that we are all creative beings. That's really a great point, Dale. And it reminds me of Evans Baia, who is one of our team members, and he and I co-authored another book called The Innovator's Advantage. Evans is so curious, and Evans is probably one of the most educated people I've ever met. He has four postdoctorate degrees. And yet he remains so curious. And one of the things I love observing about his creativity is the way that he uses words. This thing you're talking about, storytelling, he loves it. He's a scientist, but he loves the idea of storytelling so much so that he does a workshop for some of our clients that are more scientifically based organizations, teaching them how to bring storytelling into the proposals that they submit to senior management or that they submit to venture capitalists. Because he recognizes that creative way of telling the work that they're doing is often key to getting the commitments that they're looking for to advance their research. Mm. 
sounds like a whole nother podcast for us to dive into and, and work on that issue alone. But let's let's talk talk about the different expressions of creativity that that are out there today. Yeah, so I, I, let me first say, Dale, one of the things I'm convinced about is that these skills and the way that we write about them and the complete leader, it's just the beginning. That in fact, we grow our understanding and our capability of these skills throughout our career, throughout our lifetime. And there's always something more to learn. So because of that, I'm curious and I watch the way other people are demonstrating or expressing creativity in their lives. And I've stumbled on this idea that there's so many different um, ways that people are comfortable expressing their creativity. It, it reminds me of a quote by Henry David Thoreau. He said, it's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. So I've noticed this. For instance, I've talked quite a bit about Courtney Fighter because I consider her one of our creativity experts. She wrote the book, I Heart Creativity. And what I've noticed about Courtney is that she loves to express her creativity in visual ways. Um, she loves colors. She loves drawing. She loves encouraging people to express themselves through visual arts. And so it's, I can see that it's just come so natural for her. And it's an area that she chose to develop as a skill. So she took classes in drawing and things like that. And then that leads me to one of my sons who I always, growing up, I always said he's on Mac software and the rest of us are PCs <laughs> because he always thought a little bit differently. He went on and got a, a bachelor's and a master's of fine art degree in art. And he's professionally a printmaker. And when I watch him being creative, what's so interesting to me is that he combines a scientific approach. A lot of his printmaking, he's developing new techniques, new science, new, new uses of materials and methods to create something that's artistic. So he's got this interesting blend of scientist and artist all together in the way that he does printmaking. And I, I'll brag a little bit to say he was involved in helping with one of the installations in the new subway station in New York City. And um, he was, in fact, using both science and art as a part of that installation. And then I look at another one of our team members, um, and I'll, I can go on as long as you'll let me, <laughs> but Andy Johnson. You know, Andy, a lot of people uh, would say Andy might not be somebody who's normally looked at as being creative because Andy hates brainstorming sessions. When I say, hey, let's just build a list of a bunch of ideas, something in Andy um, turns off. He doesn't like it. Instead, Andy's more of an intellectual creative. So what I see happen is when you give Andy an assignment, hey, Andy, work on this. Can you explore this for us? And he goes off and he spends days or weeks or sometimes months. He comes back with original ideas applied in new ways that fit every definition I can think of around creativity. He's just expressing it in a different way. And in his case, he's usually expressing it with words and with what we refer to as design thinking, where he's not just creating words, but he's thinking about how they apply to a particular problem, to a particular situation. And I can go on and on and on. Whit Mitchell, one of our team members, he's very creative in experiential learning. That's where he has people doing things physically 
and learning about who they are and how they work together as a team as a result of those physical experiments that he runs them through. And so it goes on and on and on. As many different ways as there are to express yourself, those are all different ways of expressing creativity. What is the power of observation? If we dissect what you just did with us and you study creativity in other people, how do you think that helps you be creative? And, and what lessons can we learn and take away from that as we consciously, intentionally work to observe creativity in other people? Well, the number one enemy of creativity is rigidity. Creativity is about new ideas. It's about expand, expanding your thinking and thinking about new ways, new possibilities. And rigidity, when I think there's one way to do it right, or when I think I've, I already understand it, I don't need more information. These are great examples of the antithesis of creative thinking. So in my mind, when I go out and observe other people, it's one of the ways that I expand my own thinking, that I begin to realize, hey, maybe I should experiment with that. Or a lot of times, I confess, it's just that I gain an appreciation for these different expressions of creativity, whether or not I ever plan to use them myself. But Courtney Fighter, for instance, she's inspired me to, from time to time, not because I'm trying to accomplish anything, but just to just to express creativity, I've started drawing. And Dale, I'm not going to show you any of my drawings. They're horrible. (laughs) But I know that what I'm doing is accessing a part of my brain that I haven't developed that much. So I'm on a, I was uh, on a cruise in the uh, Adriatic Sea. And um, we were harbored in Greece. And I'm looking at Mount Etna, this beautiful mountain that has some smoke coming out of it because it's still an active volcano. And I see the the lines of the hills and the houses in front of it. And I decided I'm going to draw a picture of it. So I took the time to draw a picture. That's something I probably didn't do anything anywhere near that for 30 years. But by me watching Courtney and the way that she expresses herself, it opened up a new avenue of me thinking about creativity. And I understand it's not about doing it well. It's about doing it because it does something inside your brain that begins to develop new ways of thinking. So that's one simple example. That's why I think observing other people so valuable is because they help you to think of new ways of doing things yourself. So it seems like the examples you gave us are talents. They're natural tendencies. It's the way these people are uh, mm, in their yeah. uniqueness. And I would say they're much more than talents. They, they may have been there initially as a, a unique way that they were drawn to express creativity, but they also develop them into skills. Okay. So, that's, and that's where I'm going. So help us develop those into skills. Well, so it starts by this curiosity. I think that the mindset that's going to help you to develop the skills is curiosity and the willingness to explore, the willingness to try new things. And you should never try new things trying to be good at them. You should try new things just having fun. So when we're working with leaders or teams to help them develop more creativity, It's almost always because they want us to help them solve solve some kind of a problem or develop a new product or 
a new strategy, things like that. And I value those things at the end of the journey. But I know that we won't tap into all the potential if we don't start out with this idea of just being having some fun. I remember a few years ago, I was working with the research and development team for a global organization with all of their leaders in research and development in Southeast Asia. There were a little over 100 people. And we spent a whole day just playing games to stimulate their creative juices. So we intentionally played games that were, had no direct correlation to their work or the problems that they were going to need to work on solving in the future. This helps to tear down that wall of judgment that keeps us from being more open in the way that we create. So let me give you an example. We, we broke them down into teams of six people and everybody had a stack of index cards and we gave them 10 minutes to see how high they could build a tower or a structure of index cards without it falling down. And we let them practice it a few times and then we had a friendly competition to see who could build the tallest wall. So why would we have them practice and then turn it into a competition? Well, we had them practice because we wanted them to explore different ways of building that tower or that wall of index cards, not just one. Because in, when you're thinking creatively, there's when you're thinking creatively, there's never one right answer. There are always a multitude of answers, and the truth is, you never find the best answer. You're always in search of a better answer. So we have them play with it, and then we introduce the idea of a competition so that now they felt the need to take what they'd been learning and convert it into something that was going to be measurable, something that was going to be functional. So that's one of the ways that we help people develop more creativity. Um, oftentimes, what we've recognized is that you help people feel more creative by having them create as a group. So another thing that we're doing in that kind of an exercise is we're getting people to cooperate with each other, to appreciate each other, and to build on each other's ideas. I might not feel very creative alone, but when I hear two or three or four other ideas pop up, all of a sudden I start thinking some of, of some ideas myself. So that's another way that we develop creativity. In, in all of this, what we focus on in the first phase of creative thinking is always going to be quantity, not quality. And so some, oftentimes we put a stopwatch on people. You only have so much time and they either have to hit a number that we've given them. You have to come up with 20 ideas in five minutes or 100 ideas in 20 minutes or we're having them compete against other teams so that they've one way or the other, we have to give them that sense of urgency that gets them to turn off the judgment part, what I would call the adult part of their brain, and to go back to being a playful child. So I'm thinking about the hard-charging, bottom-line-focused executive. And Ron Price comes in and says, I'm going to take your team of 100 engineers, software developers, and we're going to spend a whole day playing games that are in no way related to their work. Yep. Well, if how, the, how do you, yeah, convince me that that executive that it is, um, that it needs to happen. Yep. Well, um, oftentimes the people who would hire us to come in and do that are the people who are in charge of research and development, vice president, senior vice president. They understand, they get it. They've read the literature. 
they understand that the quantity of ideas is the beginning point to solving a real problem or coming up with something new that's going to give you a, a competitive advantage in the marketplace. So the CEO or business owner who hasn't read that, there are two things I'll do. One is I'll ask them, what's the last big, great idea that you had as a company that set you apart from all your competitors? And I'll let them think about that. And I'll say, how did you come up with that idea? And we, you could say we sort of go backwards in the story to where the, the idea originated from. And inevitably, it happened by mistake. Inevitably, there was some point at which they were thinking creatively or somebody on their team was thinking creatively and they came up with something that nobody else had thought of. And then I would say, so would you like to come up with more of those ideas by mistake? Because they're really not by mistake. There's a very clear methodology for you can, so you can have more of them. And then I will introduce them to the research that's been done globally that shows that for every one commercially successful idea or product or service, on average, it took 3,000 ideas to get there. So how are we going to get those 3,000 ideas? And so I'll have a conversation with them about the fact that the ideas are in seed form in your people. Our job is to water those seeds, to get them to germinate and grow. And we're going to have to sort through a lot of ideas. We're going to set as our target 3,000 ideas to come to that one that's going to give you a strategic advantage over your competitors. If they don't respond to that, then I recognize they're probably not ready for that kind of creativity. And we'll talk about how can they just get a little bit better at what they're already doing because it's clear that they're not ready to do something that's breakthrough. Okay. Of course, and most I, owners don't like to be told that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I, I can imagine we've got a global audience and people all over the world. And uh, there's somebody who's listening to this saying, I'm not going to let my team go off and play games all day, but it's important. It is so important. And you're laying, you're laying a powerful case for it. But so a lot of what you talked about was tapping into that instinctual type of creativity. What about the, the Andy Johnson's, the more intellectual approach? Are there ways that you work with, with those types of folks in expanding creativity and growing the skill? Yes. Now, I, I will comment that that group I told you about that I was working with in Southeast Asia, that was the first day of a three-day program. The second day, we reviewed what they had learned about thinking creatively and now we introduced some of their problems, some of their opportunities, and we had them work. I would say the first day, all the creative thinking was irrelevant to their business. The second day, we focused on creativity that was relevant to their business. And toward the end of that day, one of the senior leaders that was observing this leaned over to me and said, they just solved a problem we've been trying to solve for 20 years. Well, they did it because they started by expanding their creative thinking before they tried to be relevant, before they quantified, or I'm sorry, before they qualified the value of their ideas. And then the third day they presented and uh, decided what they were going to take from there and build on. And this is really when we move into the phase that you asked me to talk about, which is how do we move toward more intellectual creative thinking? Because now we have to go deeper in studying an idea. We don't just look at that idea at a surface level at an imaginary level, but now we need to bring it into reality. And this is where we need people who are creative intellectually. 
So we study that idea much deeper to understand the implications of it, to understand the potential impact on the audience that would benefit from us developing that idea. And eventually that leads to developing some experiments where we take that idea and put it into practice to see if we can actually produce a result with it. And as we do that, then we begin to um, expand our thinking even more, try different things. We discover new variations on that idea through the experiments that we run. And at some point, we get it to the point where we want to try it out on others, so to speak. So whether we're just sharing a concept or we're helping, we're asking them to look at a prototype of a product or we're asking them to give us feedback on a potential service that we're developing creatively, we start to get other people's reaction or to understand their relationship to that idea that we've been developing. And at this point, we solidify or formalize what we've been developing, and then eventually that leads us to how do we scale it. All of these steps involve a lot of the intellectual style or type of creativity that we're talking about. So even though we tend to think of and value the spontaneous, the improvisational creation of ideas up front, it's all of the ideas that come after that, once we've begun to funnel and evaluate our ideas, that help us to turn it into a um, tangible benefit, a tangible reality, and hopefully to create the kind of goals or results that our organization exists for. Mm. So what are some of the other things that you've learned about building creativity as a skill? Well, I mentioned at first that it's about how many ideas we come up with. On that improvisational side, I just want to step back and say that there's another really valuable exercise that we've used over and over again, which has been both fun and productive. And that is now we start combining these ideas in random ways. So initially, we want people to keep thinking outside of their old patterns of thinking so we will often uh, give them random possibilities and say, figure out how to integrate these together, figure out how to make these all work together. And um, that is still preparing them for when we go to that more intellectual or more scientific approach. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, anytime that you're observing others or if that you're reading, you're giving yourself to uh, an opportunity to advance your creativity. One of the things I decided to do years ago Dale, because I felt the need to expand my creative thinking, is I decided I was not going to continue only reading nonfiction, but I intentionally decided that I would read a certain number of fictional books each year as a way of feeding my creative mind. And I intentionally read a variety of different kinds of fictional books. So fantasy, science fiction, historical novels. I go all over the place because every time I read a new different type of fictional book, I'm expanding my creative thinking. Of course, the best way to do that is to write, to read good writers, good authors. I'm not saying that you're going to expand your creative thinking in a positive way if you're reading junk. So I'm looking for the classics. I'm looking for authors that I think have done a great job themselves of writing creatively so that I can learn from them and my mind can be fed by their creative thinking. Hmm. You know, it all comes down to, I think the fuel of creativity is humility. Because if I think I already know it, I'm not going to be creative. I'm not going to come up with anything new. I'm just going to keep regurgitating what I already think is the truth or the way to do something. 
So even when I think about creative thinking and helping people develop, I'm, I'm constantly wanting to be creative in how I think about teaching people creative thinking. <laughs> I don't want to stay with just one approach because the person who is the expert in the room is the person who learns the least amount. <laughs> the smartest person in the room learns the least. <laughs> yeah, I would say that oftentimes they may not actually be the smartest. They might just be the proudest. And I think a part of the way that you continue this journey is to realize something I mentioned earlier, and that is that there's really no such thing as a best idea, only better ideas. You will never find the best idea because there will always be something better that you could discover later. And the reason I encourage people to come up with lots and lots and lots of ideas before they start the problem-solving process is because there is never only one way to pursue something new, to pursue the answer to a problem or to pursue a new product or service. There are always multiple ways and you will never identify all of the possible routes to success. And this is why we need to take more time developing a, qual a quantity of ideas before we start the process of evaluation and development and deployment. Okay. Well, it's that time in the podcast where we look for the tactical takeaways. What, uh, what's the assignment for the week to grow our creativity skills? Great. Here's some ideas, but they're only the beginning. We should add to them. Number one, look for opportunities to watch children at play. Boy, you can learn so much from watching. They are magical. So ask yourself as you watch them, why are they that creative? How do they do it? And what is it that makes creativity come so easy for them that I might be able to introduce into my own life? Number two, make creative thinking a daily practice. We talked about this a little bit before, but sometime during every day, put it into your schedule. Have an appointment where you're going to put a topic at the top of the page of a piece of paper and then start writing or drawing or anything that comes into your mind and just make that a daily practice. You will be amazed at how many creative ideas come to you throughout the rest of the day when this becomes a habit that you practice daily. And then the third suggestion I have is try different ways of expressing your creativity. Get out of your comfort zone. Like I said, I, I, I'm a terrible drawer, but I decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw. It's for me, it's not for anybody else. So if you're more comfortable with drawing, then do something else. If you're more, for instance, you might be more comfortable with drawing, maybe you should focus on writing. See how creatively you can put words together. Combine words in different ways that you never have before. Have fun with it. And you're doing it for the development, the nurturing of your own mind, not to show to anybody else. Maybe you're more comfortable drawing and writing. Maybe practice being creative with body movements. What, how many different kinds of body movements could you come up with? The idea is explore different expressions of creativity in a playful way. And you're not doing it for anybody else. You're not doing it to solve a problem. You're doing it as an exercise of the mind because that's how we develop creativity as a skill. Three great things for us to do this coming week. Thank you so much for that. And uh, we're going to continue this conversation about creativity, correct? Yeah, our next, next edition. Our next conversation, we're going to talk about the neuroscience of creativity so that you can see that I'm not just talking about things intuitively. We're talking about things that we now have been able to prove scientifically help us to develop our creative thinking skills. Fantastic. 
I will remind folks that you can see a lot more, learn a lot more about this idea of creativity and the other leadership skills that are discussed in The Complete Leader by Ron Price and Randy Lisk, the book that is the basis for this, con this weekly conversation. Also, you can find more at the website, thecompleteleader.org. Be sure you subscribe to this podcast, and if you do us one big favor, if you would sit down and listen to this podcast with the team at work where you need to be more creative or send an email or a text message with a link to this podcast uh, to somebody that you know would benefit from hearing ways, uh, number one, that they are a creative individual, number two, that they have an opportunity to grow that skill within them. So just a quick thing to make this podcast even more relevant, useful, and, uh, and helpful for folks out in the world. We would definitely appreciate that. This is the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.